Okay, gentlemen, it just came to light, or at least to my light, that Train to Busan is set to get a remake by New Line Cinema uh, coming soon to a theater near you. So it got me wondering, is there a better remake, a U.S. remake, that is better than its international counterpart? And not just horror, I'm talking about anything. I can only think of one thing that might be competitive, and that is the U.S. office remake of the uh, English office or the UK office. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> it's hard to compare. Those are those are such different beasts. But in terms of success and sheer impact, yeah, definitely. When the US office was airing, you had those people at, the, at, at work would be like, oh my God, you watch the US office. You're such a loser. The UK one's so much better, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we all had those people in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's such, there's such different, different takes on it. Um, man, that, the US office is hard to, hard to argue with. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good choice. I've seen uh, a fair amount of the UK one. I like that Dwight, and I do like... Uh, What's his name is Michael Scott. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. He, Ricky Gervais. Yeah, David Brent. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the counterpart, David Brent. Yeah. Um, that was only run for like two seasons too, right? Two seasons and one Christmas special, which is what uh, he tends to do with what Ricky Gervais tends to do with most of his series. Um, he does two to three seasons and then he'll do like one follow-up special for a lot of things when he's not doing a movie. Um, but yeah, ways to keep, keep it simple. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the U.S. office ran for, what, eight or nine years? Nine seasons. Very long time. Yeah, a little, probably too long. Ah, uh, see, I'm going to disagree with that because I hate, to, I hate to be this guy, but like it actually, the ninth season got really good again. I know a lot of people kind of like point out certain characters, but I thought the the season like the series like really evolved into its own thing at the, at the end okay okay i just i got tired of the whole pam and uh jim wedding stuff i was like all right i'm falling off this train right now i <laughs> uh, see i'm thinking of uh stanley Stermageddon. i'm thinking of uh <laughs> florida stanley i'm thinking of um <laughs> fucking overly crazy sexual phyllis um oh man the shit they did with meredith and creed alone Anyway, I could go on. We should have started an office podcast. I know we should. We, we like knee deep in like 50 others, but. What a show. Yeah. Welcome to your lunch break with the Grave Talk as we talk the office. <laughs> okay, Garrett. Uh, I don't know if it's a hot take. I don't know if it's super controversial, but I'm going to 100% agree with this. The Americanized ring, the ring was so much better than the Japanese one. Hands down. I really like that movie. Now, I, I'm going to open myself up to vulnerabilities here. I don't think I've actually sat down to watch Ringu. It's been one of those in my uh, iTunes library for years because I bought it on the Arrow sale for three bucks. But I just haven't got around to doing that. Ringu or Ringu 2 or Spiral, any of those that are all attached to that. So I'll take your word for it. Uh, John, have you seen the Japanese one? I'm trying to remember, and I, I don't think so either. I think I've only seen the American uh, Ring. I mean, it's good. Ringu's good. It definitely encompasses the same feel, but um, just the, it probably was budgetary also, but just the uh, the sheer pr presentation of the American Ring was just so much better and creepy, and it had like these moments that just really escalated to, in my opinion, like just really great moments of like utter fear. The other one had like these moments like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to be scared. Ringu had that. But the American ring was like, man, I was I was really terrified at certain points. So I don't know. That's my choice. Right on. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here uh, again, a, a movie that I haven't seen, but just based on my disdain for the American version. I'm going to say Grudge. 
I'm going to say the Japanese grudge is probably better because I don't really care for the American one. I'm a grudge fan. I've never seen the Japanese one, but I like the American grudge. I know it gets a lot of flack. Mostly from me, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I like that movie. The story is a little more pointlessly convoluted in the American one. There's a lot of um, a lot more dumb decision making. And I don't really think what's her face is that great of an actress. Um, She's not bad, but she just didn't really do it for me in that movie at all. So. Yeah, I agree. Um, Well, doing a little research on this subject, I found some fun ones that I didn't realize were remakes. These aren't horror-related at all, but did you know that The Departed was a Hong Kong movie originally called Internal Affairs from 2002? Huh. It's not the... Was Internal Affairs, like, remade from the Hong Kong Eternal Affairs? Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I forgot. I I don't know how to read. Infernal Affairs. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. True Lies was originally La Totolie or La Totolie. I I can't do a French accent with the word totale. Totale. That's from 1991. Really? True Lies? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to assume that the American one's better just because it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger jumping off of a Harrier jet, right? That's That right there makes it better, in my opinion. <laughs> that's such an American That's such an American response to like this kind of question. It's like, America <laughs> did it better because it's got Schwarzenegger, baby. Yeah. My freedom's USA. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a jet, man. Oh, stupid American! You don't get it. The the fineness of the French movie. Oh, I don't I don't know if that's offensive, but let me chime in. Instead of jumping off a, a jet, he jumps off a bicycle onto another bicycle. <laughs> We're sorry, France. We don't mean it. Uh, how about Three Men and a Baby? Did you know that that was originally a French film called Three Homes et du Coffin? What? Who fucking cares? <laughs> Three men and a baby? Um, uh, surely, surely the American one's better. Uh, American arrogance is winning right now, France. It's definitely not, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Boom. Nice. Come on, man. I had to throw it in there. That was perfect. Okay, here's controversial ones. Let's, let's talk a little bit more horror-related. Let the right one in. Or let me in. Oh, damn. Uh, let the right one in. Definitely better than let me in. I've only ever seen let the right one in. And that was really good. So Both are done really well. Yeah, I, I think I prefer the Swedish one myself. I just think they're so similar. And I watched them back to back one afternoon. Probably a bad idea. Um, but I did watch the Swedish one first. And I was like, I'm going to watch the American one. I ain't got to work till later and just hit play. And I was like, this is literally the same movie. And then I thought to myself, I don't know what I expected. <laughs> they're just a remake of the first one. So, yeah, of course, they're the same movie, dummy. <laughs> I just don't got to read in the second one. I feel like that's what's going to happen to this Train to Busan uh, remake. Because there's no trains in America. So they're going to have to put it somewhere else. So at this point, they're just making the movie so that they can put it in English for people who don't want to read subtitles. Well, there's trains, dude. There's lots of places that have like train infrastructure. The The Northeast has a lot of uh, train infrastructure. You can go from like New York to Philadelphia. I mean, you can go like all sorts of places on trains. Uh, we just don't have them down in Texas because Texas is garbage when it comes to trains. I've, I mean, I've been on like the Metro North in New York. Like it's just they're not good trains. They're not horror movie trains. I mean, maybe like you could put it on an Amtrak, but name one American movie that takes place on an Amtrak train. Like, I just 
I just don't see it. The Taking of Pelham 351. Also a remake. The John Travolta movie. Yeah, the Taking of Pelham 123. That's a subway, though. That's what they're going to do, dude. You know the remake's probably just going to be on a subway, right? They could be in Chicago. It could be in the Red Line or something, you know? <sighs> John, do you think it'll actually take place in New York on a subway from like, kind of like the Warriors they've got to get from uh, one place to the other, to Coney Island or some shit? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's like the nearest I could see, but there's so many scenes like there's no back bathrooms on a subway right there's no like luggage racks there's no i don't know i mean it would have to they'd have to take a lot of creative liberties which might be good though like because i also am not a fan of remakes that don't add anything it's like i'll just watch the original so i guess if they're just taking the the concept they're gonna try to put it in a subway like we just made up and you know what you heard it here first that (laughs) might be might be interesting i have absolutely no interest in this remake to be honest and it reminds me of another one that i had absolutely no interest in a few years ago do you remember when they redid old boy spike lee directed old boy starring josh brolin oh i didn't know that that's kind of interesting yeah it came out in 2013 and i remember when they announced that i just it's one of those movies like i love the original so much um that i can't imagine them capturing how well the first one was you know what i mean the intrigue, the mystery of him being locked in that hotel room for like, what was it, like two years or something like that? And without any interaction with people, and then he comes out and he's got to solve this crime mystery. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And, and to what I heard, I heard it didn't it didn't hold up to the original, but I never saw it. Did you say crime mystery? Is that redundant? Yes. <laughs> the crime mystery. <laughs> crime mysteries. <laughs> oh, Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, we're back at it again, doing another episode. We're taking the train to Zombieville. How are we doing today? Hanging in there. Yeah, not too shabby. I'm going to figure out another thing for you to say. This is the third hanging in there we've done in a row. Really? I was moving away from pretty good. That's my other stock generic answer. (laughs) You could just do what I do, John. You could just sing random bullshit songs, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't don't know any other phrases. I got to tell you what, I'm doing fine. Okay, good. Garrett, how are you doing? I'm doing all right because I'm ready to ride this night train. So let's go. All right, we, we got to get all the pun, the train puns going, get this locomotive going forward down the track. Uh, you were so close, Mark. You could have said, What did I miss? I think we're on the right track here. Oh, yeah. Damn it. Mark, Mark took the long <laughs> way around just to miss the mark. <laughs> <laughs> What's that little thing where they can change which direction or which tra- the track the train takes? I went on the other one. Yeah. <laughs> Should have uh, pulled the crank or whatever it is. Um, okay, what have you been up to since last time? Any news or movies you want to get into before we get to the train? Well, as promised in our Evil Dead episode, I finished up and watched Army of Darkness. and Your favorite movie of all time now, right? Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. I didn't really enjoy it that much. Uh, to quote Garrett, I get it. <laughs> you know, I, And I can see why people <laughs> like it. 
it's just not for me. It's and it's like too, a little too slapsticky. Uh, definitely not horry. The effects were great. I love that, and it's obviously very quotable. But mm, too far away from Evil Dead One or the remake or remake remake uh, for me. Okay, I had a feeling that's the way it was going. I mean, based on your trajectory of one and two, I kind of had a, an idea that it would just be a downward slope for you. I was just crossing my fingers maybe that you knew kind of what you were going into, that you would have a different mindset for it, but it doesn't seem to have worked. Sadly, no. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to call it a bad movie. I will say it is just not a movie for me. I do think if I had seen this when I was like 12 to 14, I probably would have really loved it, but coming in it, or coming at it, you know, in your mid thirties, I'm just like, oh, this is also. It feels so nineties, man. It is. It feels aged. Like they just don't make that kind of humor anymore. Well, yeah, we're we're well past the Looney Tunes uh, silver age or whatever you want to call it of movie making. The influence has waned over the years, I guess. <laughs> well, just to piggyback off of John's Army of Darkness news, I was going to mention that Evil Dead Rise. Uh, since our last recording was announced to be coming to HBO Max with Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell as executive producers. I don't care about executive producers. That never excites me, and I don't really... What does that mean exactly? That means they're putting money into a project, right? That They're not going to be in charge of filmmaking or direction or anything. They're not writing the damn thing. So I don't... They can sometimes consult and things like that. So it just, you know, it depends. But yeah, usually it's just uh, finance. Yeah. So I, I guess this is just going to be a movie straight to the uh, to the service. Not a not so much a TV show, which is good. We had Ash versus Evil Dead. I think we need to get back into the movie format for this franchise. But it's set... Um, it's going to be in the city. So it's going to be two new female protagonists um, set with the Evil Dead breaking loose in in a city. Um, what do you guys think of that premise? I I I could be on board. I'm not sold completely yet, but it it'll be interesting to see him take it out of the the cabin. Yeah, since I'm not like uh, since this franchise doesn't hold a super special place in my heart, I'm open minded to it. I think it could be really interesting. And I think they had no choice. I think after kind of Cabin in the Woods sort of skewered having a Cabin in the Woods movie, they had to do something uh, fresh. So maybe moving it into a city will revitalize it in some way or kind of, you know, make it making it more urban at least opens up certain new possibilities. So that could be interesting. I think I would have preferred them to go back to the remake one more time. I'd love to see a sequel to that one and that hyper violent and gory version. Um, even you know, as a as a fan, as as much as I am of the original trilogy, I think there's more to be done in the new universe. Does that make sense? Like I feel like we've done plenty with the Ash Cam- uh, Bruce Campbell verse. Yeah. I would totally agree. Cause I lo- and it could even be, you could take the uh, lady from the first one and how she's trying to get her life back together in a city. You could even give her a roommate uh, and you're 80% of the way toward this new movie. Yeah, it's right there. I just hope they don't rehash the same exact plot as the first one with just a female lead. I'm so tired of that. Like, I get really annoyed with it in comics. I get really annoyed with it in like movies where it's just like, let's take the same story as you know, but we'll put a girl in it. It's like, just give them their own fucking story, dude. Yeah. Agreed. Like you can you can keep the franchise, just like give them their own unique story. They don't need to do the same exact thing that the first movie did, you know, or whatever. I don't know. What about this? Henrietta is the landlord. Someone's on my uh, in my fruit cellar of my apartment building. You owe me rent, ladies. <laughs> I'd watch that. You know, it could be very Beetlejuice esque. I've got all kinds of good ideas. Hollywood get at us. 
Uh, I didn't actually do too much except for um, I did watch a few things on Shudder, but old stuff that I've already seen. Um, Shudder, you've really stepped up your game. You've got a lot of really good originals and stuff like that coming out. Thank you very much for getting your shit together. And an update for all of our listeners, Shudder has finally decided to start um, expanding on their descriptions a tad. So no more spooky stuff has it happens in a house. We finally get to know a little bit more about what the movie might be about before you click play. So that's always cool. Uh, Garrett, I just I want you to know I completely credit you for that turnaround. You think that was me? That's right. We're making waves. Yes, I think they listened <laughs> and we're like, oh, shit. I think the G-Man's right. Get our writers in here. And they all got chewed out and now they're stepping their game up. Look, we are getting trashed by some fucking rinky-dink podcast because we refuse to put more than two sentences in our descriptions. <laughs> Damn it, guys. We need to step up our game. Hey, we're three subscribers. We pay for this service. They better listen. That's all I'm saying. I pay your salary. Um, <laughs> uh, I did watch a bunch of horror trailers, which... Um, I, as a good um, horror podcast person, I did not see Spiral, the Book of Saw yet. I kind of want to, though. Like, I really love Chris Rock. I like Samuel Jackson a whole lot. I really want to see what this is all about. Um, I'm not a huge Saw series fan. Like, it's not bad, but it's just not really my thing. But I'm really interested to see what they do with uh, this franchise and how they're going to kind of make it go forward. It it feels like it's a little bit Hellraiser-ish, where they're just taking other, other scripts and then... Um, putting the the saw moniker on it. I, I kind of want to see it for myself and make that determination. Um, also did not go see a quiet place too, because unfortunately that trailer ruined the first one before me. Um, evidently uh, what's his face is John Krasinski's character dies. So that kind of sucks. Hey, you just ruined it for everybody else. You're making them live your pain now. Look, Dumbledore dies. All right. That's all I'm oh, saying. Shit. <laughs> Damn. And I'm the spoiler guy. I mean, at this point though, it's the same thing they told me is like at this point, if you haven't seen the first one, Get the fuck over it. Um, the new Conjuring trailer came out. I'm sure you guys saw that. The The Devil Made Me Do It. Very interesting trailer. Mm-hmm. I didn't care for the trailer itself because it was a few moments that they put like random scream at a really time that made me laugh my ass off. But um, it looks pretty good. I'm interested to see this one. It looks like it's going to be a lot more courtroom and religious driven than the previous ones. I did see a trailer for a movie called The Night House. Uh, which is done by the director of The Ritual and VHS, uh, David Bruckner. This one looks really crazy. It's about a woman whose like, husband or boyfriend dies after he built her a house, and then she finds out there's like an exact replica house built near her, but it's like the opposite. Um, I, I can't do it justice by trying to like describe it without going into like, a lot of detail, but go check out that trailer for The Night House. That one looks really interesting. Less... Um, I don't know, it's probably going to have some jump scares, but it looks really more psychological, which uh, which looks really cool. Uh, Mark, you'll be happy to know that Don't Breathe is getting a sequel. That's a movie we got coming up. Hmm. I did see a new movie that has nothing to do with horror, Cruella. And I will tell you, don't watch that. I didn't like it. Why the hell would you watch Cruella? Because I'm married, Garrett, and sometimes we got to do things we don't want to do. And so <laughs> we watched that, and uh, neither of us liked it, so there. All right. <laughs> yeah, I understand you got to do that, but I mean, just bite down on something, let her peg you, and don't watch Cruella. I mean, it's that simple, dude. Well, look, the, uh, <laughs> the, the buzz around Cruella was actually very positive. Mm-hmm. In the absence of the other one's buzz, I was like, well, whatever, let's check it out. People are saying this is good. And uh, it's not really that great. Well, the buzz was positive because Disney was spending some of that mouse money 
And two, I just don't care about the origin story of a dog murderer. I love dogs and I love pets and I don't want to see them. I don't want to see that person become, oh, I don't want to feel sorry for them. It's like, uh, was it Leatherface or whatever? Yeah. Where it's like, I don't want to pity the villain. That's my question, Mark, because I was going to ask you is I try not to judge too much stuff before I've seen it. Um you know, in a negative light, but this one just, it just didn't see, I, I'm personally not a fan of that whole, like, let's take this character that you're supposed to hate and let's like make you like understand them. Like Wicked was one of those things. Wicked was okay. But like, I was like, eh, um, Ratchet, the, the nurse Ratchet origin story that was on Hulu. I love a good backstory, but this always just seems forced and they always do it in a way that's kind of like, we're going to, we're going to make it quirky. So in this movie, do they try to endear you to the character of Cruella or do they try to justify her her behavior later on through her actions early on? I was quite confused at that, to be honest with you. Neither me nor my wife felt endeared to Cruella at any point. She seemed like she was uh, at the at the whims of her own making, right? Like almost a lot of the things that were happening around her, for the most part, until the end reveal is of her own doing. So you're like, well, you did that to yourself. You know, like, I don't care. And then she turns into Cruella mid-movie and just over-the-top acting, and you're just like, what is happening right now? I was struggling to figure out how exactly this movie fits into the 101 Dalmatians universe because it doesn't. It's They change just enough to make me scratch my head and go, wait a minute, how does this now fit in with the cartoon? You've changed this particular element and now it doesn't make sense. So then I just had to say, well, this is an alternate 101 Dalmatian verse. And I don't want to do that. That's stupid. This isn't Marvel. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was at a loss with this movie pretty much from the start. Everything wrong with modern filmmaking could be summed up with the phrase 101 Dalmatian verse. <laughs> uh, there didn't need to exist a 101 Dalmatian universe. Yeah. A bunch of standalone cartoons was fine. Like, I didn't need, I don't need a, a, a universe of every single fucking movie. And I had so many questions and I was like, you know, looking at my wife and I was like, is Cruella like a super popular character that I didn't realize had like a fandom? And she's like, I don't think so. I think it's that whole Maleficent thing they're doing. They're just taking the bad guy and making a movie around him. I was like, oh, okay. Yes, it's exactly what they're doing. It's the, it's the wicked, it's the Maleficent, it's that whole, you know, we're going to take this character and you're going to, it's, it's a complicated character, Mark. And don't get me wrong, those can make some great stories, but it's just the way they handle stuff like that that it's always really interesting because and that was my and that's still my question is like what what is the point of this movie? Are they trying to endear us to this? Are they trying to make us sympathetic to this character? Are they trying to to clearly outline that this is the inciting event that created this person, which is fine in a way as long as you're on message throughout the film. I don't think the movie was interested in in doing any of that because it, you're they're kind of trying to set her up as this alternate anti-hero that Cruella would never was. Like that's what the point of the movie seems to be. Yeah. She was a villain. She was a villain in a Disney cartoon. The basics is you have to be irredeemably evil essentially to be a villain. Like well, but now they're trying to walk that back. It's a fail. I mean, like I just don't see it. I don't want to see the inevitable Ursula or Gaston films or whatever little anti Avengers their build their league they're building here. <laughs> a Gaston film alone should just be called like Gaston. 
colon date rape. <laughs> it would be so, oh man, um, <laughs> cast on origin film. Um, I mean, and that's what's, you know, so interesting about this because, you know, John, to your point, you know, like a villain is a villain, but no one's born a monster in most cases. And that's what I think makes Michael Myers such a, a great unique villain and that's why i still find him the scariest of the the major um horror icons is because he was just straight up evil q loomis you know like i've looked into his eyes but cruella Deville and you know like even other characters like that i can see them being products of their environment i can see them being products of you know events and decisions but she was arguably one of the most evil characters in the Disney like films, I don't want to say diminish, but to put a spin on that, that makes you almost feel like, you know, sympathy for her actions later on, I think does impact her, her status as a, just a pure evil villain in one-on-one Dalmatians. This whole giving every villain a, a unique backstory. I don't want to say I'm not on board for, because I think there's some really good takes that could be done with some of these characters. I don't know. It, it, it looks good. Uh, I'm interested in seeing it, but we should probably talk about horror movies. Yeah, I didn't expect to get that much runway out of uh, Cruella, but uh, there we go. Um, and lastly, maybe a movie that our listeners are interested in seeing, if they haven't already, is Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Did you guys watch this one on Netflix? Nope. Negative. Okay. I will sum it up by saying this. It is a zombie movie. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> if that's all you need to get your juices flowing, then go ahead and watch it. I found it to be fairly dull. And uh, do you guys like Ocean's Eleven? Because it's basically Ocean's Eleven with Dawn of the Dead uh, blended together. Only our crack team of heist guys led by Dave Bautista are really dumb. And they all bring extra baggage to the mission that all has to play out in mid-mission while we're trying to get this money from under a casino. Yeah, it's carry-on baggage only, you fucks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God, we're going to sit here. Like, like Batista takes his daughter after, you know, saying, don't come. You're not allowed to come. And she's like, well, if you don't take me, I'm going to just show up anyway. And she's got a secondary objective the whole time. And then Batista brings his ex-girlfriend. So they're going to talk about getting back together mid-mission. Wow. Um, just all kinds of... It's just... If you have nothing better to do, watch it. Um, I, I I didn't hate it, didn't love it. But it's it, it makes all the same mistakes that all the tired zombie movies make. And for any of you interested, you can go to change.org and you can sign my petition to have them release the non-Snyder cut of <laughs> Army of the Dead. So, you know, go check that out. Well, here's some Snyder-ish shit. He's already shot the prequel to this movie before it was even released. So get ready. They're making another one. Oh, boy. Also, I don't know if it's a trick question, Mark, but yes, I did like Ocean's Eleven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, That's fine. Ocean's Twelve is when I got really angry at the whole franchise. Yeah, there's no need for a sequel, but the first one was good. Yeah, when you have a character played by Julia Roberts, then pretend to be Julia Roberts in this movie universe, I'm insulted immediately and I hate your movie forever and ever. And I'll never forget that, Ocean's 12. <laughs> never. Never. Well, it opens up. Oh, boy, let me tell you. The tear in the universe that that one scene opened up. <laughs> right. It, it's too much for this podcast. Speaking of zombie movies, I hear that we watched one. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. We watched Train to Busan from 2016. 
this one has had a lot of word of mouth buzz for many years. And I don't know why it took me five years to get to it, but we finally did. And uh, I would say, fellas, this might be one of the best zombie movies I've seen in quite a long time. What do you think? I would 100% agree. I am not a huge zombie movie fan. Uh, I think I've expressed that on the podcast quite a few times. Uh, But man, this movie, banger. Absolute banger. If you haven't watched it, pause it. Go to Shudder, watch it, come back, and thank us, because this movie's amazing. Yes, thank us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are the one who recommended that you watch it, so obviously it's totally on us how great this film is. This was a you choice, John. Why did you, uh, why did you pick this one? Just through word of mouth? or? Uh, great question, Garrett, is because it has been on my Shudder queue since I signed up for Shudder so many years ago, and I was like, I'm just never going to watch this movie uh, unless I have to. So I picked it to force me to watch it. And like Mark, I don't know what the hell took me so long. I mean, I think it was because, oh, it's a zombie movie. I'm not probably not going to enjoy it. <laughs> wrong. I have never been so wrong in my whole life. <laughs> this podcast is just a means to an end for John to fucking burn through his cues and like get his value back on things he invested in later. <laughs> I got to start a podcast just to watch these movies in my Netflix queue. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, every once in a while. Uh, but you know what? It turned out well this time because we ended up watching... I think one of the best movies we've watched on the podcast. Yeah. Well, I do want to put a disclaimer out there. If we have any crossover fans that watch The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs and uh, Darcy, uh, we did not plan this to happen. This is the first time this has happened. But they aired Train to Busan the same time that we were watching it. But we watched it first. So this is coming out after the fact. But just know that Garrett painstakingly built a schedule months in advance. So... This was not pre-planned for us to just listen to Joe Bob and recite everything he says. We're not doing that today. You're getting new, fresh Grave Talk content. You know what? We might actually be onto something. Think about it. We had Train to Busan planned. We watched it. They aired it on Joe Bob. We've been talking about how the descriptions need to be better. The descriptions have gotten better. We talked about how, well, I talked about how like I like to be able to own my media and not be tied to a streaming service and anything for Jackson is going to be available for purchase soon. <laughs> we might have a secret in with Shutter. So if that's the case, shudder. Where's our paychecks? Dude, we're not in it for the money. Come on. <laughs> the love of the game. You may not be. I need cash and I need it now. <laughs> no, you might be right. Maybe they are secretly listening. If so, just give us a shout out, Shudder, once in a while. That's all we're asking for. Um, so anyway, yeah, Train to Busan, fantastic zombie movie. Um, I would put it in contention with Girl with All the Gifts. I don't know which one I like better. I think they're both different enough that they're both fantastic and they probably hold number one, number two slot in the zombie movies of all time for me. Um, yes, I still love Day of the Dead. That's probably a close third at this point. I don't know. Like, what do you think, guys? Where, where are we ranking these movies? I think my rankings match yours pretty much. Like, uh, girl, what all the... I'd have to re-watch it now. Because, I mean, we watched that one. Like, that was one of the OG episodes way back in the day. But I, I mean, I do remember it being an exceptional film. Mm -hmm. But since this one's so fresh in my memory, like right now, like, man, this might be number one. I mean, like it has its flaws. No film is perfect. Except for Hot to Trot starring Bobcat Goldwaith and John Candy. <laughs> of course. Now we got to go see if the sale for that movie spikes because of us. That's, yeah. Oh, we are. <laughs> we're on to something here. People are listening. If it shows up on Shudder, uh, even though it's not a horror, <laughs> you'll know. <laughs> But yeah, it's just such a great movie. Yeah, I think I'll put this one, Grow It All the Gifts 2, and then Day of the Dead, and, and 
then it like pretty much rapidly drops off because I'm not a huge zombie fan. So, yeah, it's like one, two, all the rest. This definitely is this definitely shot up to the top of my list when I saw it. Um, There's so much about this movie that's done right, in my opinion, that really emphasizes what I what I enjoy the most out of a zombie flick. So it definitely shot up there. I'm still going to go with 28 Days Later as my favorite. I know that's very controversial, but um, I just think that movie encompasses everything that I like the most out of most of these zombie films um, and does it in a way that that really delivers. Um, so I'm going to say 28 Days Later. I'm going to say Day of the Dead. I'm going to say Train to Busan. And then after that, we started getting into a, a hodgepodge of, you know, you know, the, the, the rankings can fluctuate a bit depending on the mood I'm in, but that's still, that's still what I'm going with. Yeah, that's fair. I, for some reason I forget 28 days later, but you're right. It's definitely in the top five for me too. I mean, rage zombies is one of the dumbest ideas, but it's, and it's executed so well in that movie. I don't care. So, okay, well, let's see, we'll get into this one. This one's directed by Sang Ho Yon. This one stars Gong Yu as Suk Woo, Yumi Jung as Seong Kyung, Mei Dong Suk is Sung Hwa, Su An Kim is Su An, Ai Sung Kim is Yon Suk, Wu Sik Choi is Yong Guk, and So Hee is Jin Hee. You guys didn't think I was going to do that well, did you? <laughs> no, that was actually really well done. But now I have another question for you, Mark. Can we please go through this list and um, talk about each character's name as in who they are? Like, who is uh, badass? Yes. <laughs> okay, because no one knows those names. <laughs> for sure. Okay, so this movie stars uh, our titular action lead is... Siak, Siak Wu is, I believe, the character name. Yeah, Siak Wu is the, the father. Right, the fund manager. Yeah. Um, uh, Suan is the little girl, his daughter. Seong mm-hmm. Kyung, um, I'm butchering these names, I apologize. I believe she was the pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. And then Song Hua is the uh, the badass dude who's her husband, who hasn't picked a baby name yet. Correct. I'm going to call him um, Harada from Tekken fame because he, he just reminded me of a badass uh, Harada. Um, <laughs> that dude... I'm going to call that dude MVP of the movie. That is my favorite character, hands down. Uh, yeah. Reed. He lifts that movie like he picks up zombies, dude. <laughs> uh, you got Young Gook, who is the baseball player. Gene He, who is the cheerleader. You've got Yon Suk, who it, man, these names sound very familiar, very similar. Uh, he's the businessman, yeah, he's the businessman, and everyone else is kind of ancillary after that. But um, those are the main characters, so I'm going to refer to them by their um, <laughs> their fake names and not their real names. But uh, I just wanted to make that clear before we got into it. The businessman. I don't think I've hated anyone in any film. More than I hated that guy. Not Mika? Not Mika from Paranormal Activity? Uh, well, I... Ooh. Different kind of hate. <laughs> Mika is... I despise him because of just his uh, uh, nonchalantness. I don't think he is a inherently evil person. He's just a buffoon. Young Suk is a just a fucking bastard. And man, I can't wait for the Disney uh, origin story of this guy because he is pure <laughs> evil. You're talking about the businessman who uh, convinces them to separate the survivors towards the end, right? Right, which is one of the least evil things he does in a laundry list. All right, spoilers, whatever. You know they're coming. I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> when he pushes that guy out of the bathroom, what a just grade A dick move. And then he... Ugh. 
And every time he's around people, he's just actively getting them killed. That's the thing that scares me the most about a real life zombie outbreak is just seeing how people have handled the pandemic and how selfish people have been with just this minor inconvenience. I mean, not minor inconvenience, like I'm not trying to diminish the death toll and everything, but like the minor inconvenience of what we've had to do to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like just seeing people's behavior with that. I'm like, oh, we are so fucked if it's ever a zombie outbreak. Oh, at least 40% of the population are, uh, I'm going to get bit and keep it secret, people. <laughs> if anything, movies underestimated how many people would pretend to have not gotten bitten. Yes, this uh, this pandemic has completely opened my eyes to, you know, we'd look at these zombie movies in the past and like, oh, how why are they making such terrible decisions? Or why didn't they just tell them that they were bit? You know, why didn't they just work together? My eyes are fucking open now. Like these, these are true to life situations now. Thanks to COVID nineteen, I'm a different person going into the future zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so yeah, man, you're right, John. the The character of Yon Suk is such. Oh, I've, 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 yeah, like you said, I've never hated somebody so much in a movie in a long time. Mm -hmm. And that dude, in fact, the whole cast. I think everybody in this movie does a phenomenal job. Yeah. Even the kid actors. I, I can't, I don't even think Garrett could complain about the kid actors in this movie. Oh, are you waiting me to complain about the kid actors of this movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was your opening. Yeah. You know, I, I, she did, she did a fine job. She did a fine job for the role she had. I thought she was a little bit whiny at times, but again, she's a kid actor and her role is supposed to be whiny at that time. So, uh, no, everyone did a fantastic job. Before we get like further into the acting of the, the the characters themselves, I do want to just call out real fast. Like this movie, I don't know, I don't know if it was tricks of film or what, but the the movement of the zombies, the contortions, the way people were walking, the the them getting up off the ground in like crickety ways and stuff. Man, that was so damn creepy and well done in this movie. Agreed. Like start to finish, there was not a time when the zombies like showed up that I was like you need to watch out. Like I was legit scared of the zombies in this film, which was, which I thought was really cool because that happens so rarely in zombie films for me. I would agree. The zombies had to go through three months of training with a, a lead from a pole dancing academy and they taught them how to move correctly. So the, every, every extra zombie in this movie had had months of training to do that stuff. Wow. So that was all real. You know what I mean? That wasn't like some CG them getting off the ground. That's rad then. That was so good. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that makes this movie stand out so much is because you're looking at the physicality of the zombie. Normally, you know, we're used to either just rage running into your face or the slow lumbering zombie that's too stupid to do anything, right? Until the, the mass horde gets you. But this one is different than the, the normal rage zombie. So I was going to just say, like, what, how would you compare and contrast like a 28 Days Later zombie to a trained Busan zombie? They're very similar in their their pursuit. and uh, that aspect, they're, they're very similar. But the movements uh, 28 Days Later are much more humanoid, uh, much more like, you know, like fluid motion. And these zombies had much more of that classic, you know, um, Asian kind of monster zombie, like kind of crickety walk, you know, like bodies were contorted. Uh, people were moving with ticks and twitches with every little movement. And that was what was so, you know, astounding to me is like even a head turn, you know, going from like, you know, like a, a 180 degree head turn could could involve like three or four different twitch or ticks 
and that movement that just really gave you this uneasy feeling of that body and uh, what they had become. And it still seemed fluid, but it seemed fluid with its, it's like listening to jazz versus classical music, classical music's, you know, it's like, but the, like the jazz it's there, but it's got this own, its own unique feel and beat to it. That's how these zombies felt to me. And it was, I don't know, it really emphasized everything I saw, which I really appreciated because so often we take zombies for granted because it's oversaturation or whatnot, but um, just killed it. That's that's really cool to hear that they all went through that and did that physically. And I know there was some camera tricks to speed them up and, you know, kind of things like that, but whoo. Yeah, and the director, Yon Sang-ho, also started his career as an animator. Uh, he was making adult animated films before there he it is. directed this, and I think that had a lot to do with how he was able to get those shots you know when, you, when you're painting and drawing and creating in in that way you have a certain eye to things mark i have a I have an important point of clarity when you say adult animated films do you mean not porn okay do you mean <laughs> animated films for grown-ups or adult films yeah not 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 the adult industry uh but actual movies something that has more adult themes it's not like disney animation mm-hmm I just wanted to get that on record. Okay. It's called hentai and it is art. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm referring to. No, that makes a lot of sense because with animation, so much of your, uh, so much of what you see in the movement is based off of timing and, you know, exaggerated expression. So to hear that, that makes total sense now. So I'm, I'm glad that we got that. I, I love when people can bring a unique uh, visual flair to something that it be, be, becomes so saturated that we just kind of take for granted um, the aspects of it. I think that's one of the reasons these zombies in 28 Days Later hit so hard um, when it first came out is we had never seen like fast moving, like to this degree, fast moving, crazy, like just bull through a China shop level zombies. So this definitely kind of, you know, tweaked it for me, which was nice. Yeah. A movie like this, a movie like 28 Days Later, a movie like A Girl With All The Gifts shows that there's still ideas that can be done uh, in the zombie uh, uh, pantheon of films, right? But the but for every train of Busan, we've got 30,000 episodes of Walking Dead that numb me to death or an army of dead that seem, seemingly had a good idea. Let's do a heist movie in a zombie apocalypse but then just ho-hum it out the, out the gate. It, it just makes you numb to all things zombie. And it's really, really refreshing to get something like this one. Yeah, zombie movies are just at a whole nother level of uncreative. It's just astonishing how templated they are at this point. Yeah, but that's anything though, man. I don't think we can just hold that against zombie films. I think that's, I, I don't know. I don't think we should hold that against it because I mean, we wouldn't find these movies like Girl with All the Gifts or, you know, uh, Train to Busan if we if we take that mindset. You got to weed through some shit to find the gems, you know? But um, this one did it. This one definitely um, really hit it for me. My only major complaint, and I'll just get this out of the way now, is... This suffers. This movie was almost two hours long. Um, there's a lot of scenes where we're just holding on characters looking around for no reason. I know they're trying to like kind of like visually illustrate some tension and things like that, but there was a lot of scenes where it was like, this is not necessary. Like we we've got it. We're just holding. But um, minor minor complaint. I would agree. I did feel like it was a little too long, but uh, I think it's other strengths kind of made up for it. If we're if we're going to talk about our major gripes. I'm going to get mine out of the way as well so I don't keep bringing it up. These zombies are too weak to have succeeded in their mission. Uh, I think that, I mean, this is a problem in a lot of zombie movies, 
But after the initial surprise, if biting is just such an ineffectual way to spread a disease. And I think we see that these zombies particularly are pretty weak because if you just like throw them into the ceiling, they're combat ineffective. So I think that getting like shot with like a 50 cal and their chest blown up probably would have put an end, you know, to these zombies. So I just don't think they could have overrun the entire South Korean military in like two hours. I mean, at the rate of spread, I don't know. That That's an interesting question. Let me get some of the other information out of the way uh, about the movie. So uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, we got a 94% with the critics, 118 reviews, and an 89% with the audience out of 10,000 plus reviews. Uh, movie's budget was $8.5 million and made 98.5 at the box office. I think that's one of the highest grossing South Korean films, if I'm not mistaken. And here's what the back of the Blu-ray has to say about Train to Busan. People get ready for the train to Busan. No? Is that what it says? It's close. It's close. Okay. When a mysterious virus breaks out across the country, the infected turn into the murderous undead. A few terrified travelers find themselves trapped on a bullet train from hell fighting for their lives as hordes of the living dead crash towards them, crawling closer with every stop. Suspicion is rife and tensions run high as some will do anything to survive and make it to the safe zone. I don't think the zombies were getting closer with every stop, but other than that, it was pretty okay. Well, the ones that were on the train were getting closer with every stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's let's talk about the zombies themselves, right? So this is... Uh, um, it's not a new idea. I don't know if you guys know. Zombies have been around for a while, but this one has some unique uh, characteristics. Other than the way they move and get up off the ground and, and, and kind of the physicality, they seem to have a major flaw in terms of their ability to hunt. And that is if the lights go out, they can't see you no more. <laughs> yeah, that's I, one of my notes was, oh, does this whole thing end at night? Because that does seem like a pretty big flaw if they can't. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's crazy if you think about it in that fashion. But yeah, like they were able to progress through the train anytime they went into a tunnel. Like because they're not smelling you, your blood or they're not seeing your heat as we've seen in other movies. So this is literally just line of sight. Yeah. Pretty big flaw. Well, that's I think that goes back to their their primitive like object permanence type, you know, mindset. But I appreciated it though. When they went to that tunnel for the first time and they all stop, like that impacted hard for me. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I don't think this particular flaw made the movie bad in any means. I think it gave our survivors a little bit of a fighting chance, right? It's just giving these zombies a little bit of a handicap. I mean, you're stuck in a bullet tube uh, with very little maneuverability, right? So that alone would make one think is like, well, if there's hundreds of zombies on this train, you're really not going to survive. So how could we give our survivors a little bit more of a fighting chance? And I think it was a smart way to do that. And what you just said there, they're, they're stuck on that, that bullet train. Even with that, you know, the, the lights out handicap that the zombies had, I think that allowed them to really utilize and, and use every part of that train. I was really impressed with how many different ways they had these characters move through the train. Um, and interact with the environment with those with the zombies there and keep it fresh. I mean, it wasn't the same thing through every single car. Um, so that was really interesting. Like I was 
I was kind of like impressed to see them like, you know, really take advantage of the the whole area and the whole space of this train and not just, you know, we're going to fight zombies now, which we've seen over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Also, very few guns in this movie, which totally ratcheted up the tension for me. I'm so tired of people with fucking M8, you know, M80s or firecrackers, but like, you know, like machine guns and stuff like that that are just like mowing down zombies. And it's like, oh, it's not worth it. You know, I'm just like, okay, well, then why even fucking have them? I mean, it was really cool to see that like so few uh, weaponry uh, really present in this movie. I think that may just be uh, uh, one of the things we get when we go to foreign films, right? Like a lot of these countries, they aren't allowed to own guns like America. So maybe that's just a byproduct and it may make for a better zombie film, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's better without the, the guns. You gotta be kidding me. No guns, no killing. Where's the fun in that? All right, John, how does this movie start? Let's see. This movie starts with a delivery driver sort of driving through a quarantine setup where they like hose down his car and he's talking and to the to the guy there, the the soldier, and they're like, oh, is this, uh, what did he call it, uh, hoof and mouth disease or whatever? If you have to kill all of my livestock again, I'm going to be really pissed. The guy's like, no, 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 it's just the, it's like so nonchalant. Oh, it's just the leak in the biogenetic section of the city. It's nothing to worry about. And, all right. Uh, so the guy drives and then he gets a phone call. And he is the least effectual person at picking up a cell phone I've ever seen. Um, so he's not really looking as he's like trying to get his phone and for whatever. It's like he, this is probably one of the weaker points of the movie because but in the end, it's so inconsequential. But he's trying to pick up his cell phone like people do things in an infomercial. Like in the uh, it's just not how real life works. There's got to be a better way. Exactly. Uh, so he fails to get his phone and he hits a deer. And he pulls over and he's like, ah, just my luck. I hit a deer. What a shitty day. He drives off and the deer just sort of gets back up and like creaks its neck and everything back into position, looks around and then off it goes back into the woods or the field or wherever. A uh, pretty effectual way to open the movie. I was like, oh, shit, that's well done. Yeah. Zombie deer. Great visual. Excellent opening, in my opinion. Uh, the dead white eyes of, of a zombie deer just like looking around like it didn't even know it died basically and then just wandered off. Yeah, like, I got to go spread this disease everywhere and off he goes. <laughs> and to introduce the the uh, the outbreak with such a, a, a such a mundane thing as hitting a deer, you know, it happens all the time. People react to it. It's more of an inconvenience than it is like, you know, the, the you killed something. It's always like, oh, my car, oh, my insurance, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And then to have him drive off and just be like, this is not a big deal. And then see it just kind of, you know, crick back up to, to standing was such an, a, a subtle but impactful way to to introduce that, you know, this was out in the wild. Um, you know what the the the, uh, the deer, the zombie deer, also tells us plenty about the outbreak situation that our survivors are going to find themselves in. It tells us that it's already airborne, and it means if you die, you turn into a zombie. I assume the deer had eaten something or drank, or actually, what I think happened is the deer drank water, and that's how it got affected. I don't think it's airborne. I think you have to be bitten to get it. I don't think it's made absolutely crystal clear about that, but there is a conversation going on with one of the characters on the train who's on a phone, and the word airborne question mark came up on the screen in the subtitles. So that's what kind of 
led me to solidify my belief that it was airborne. Oh, see, I thought I thought that was them asking, like, is it airborne? You watched the prequel, John. Was there any info there? No, the prequel doesn't do anything to it. Calling it a prequel is a bit of a misnomer. It's just a movie that takes place before this movie, but it doesn't really explain anything. The prequel opens with someone having been bitten. It's just it basically follows another set of characters going through uh, the outbreak, but this time in a city instead of a train. Uh, really decent, but unfortunately not a lot of extra exposition. But the reason I think it was in the water is because in the next scene, we're about to meet uh, Sikh Wu, the, and he is eating his Burger King. Uh, I remember this because it was insane product placement. It was like so obvious. Um, like every Burger King logo was facing the camera. But anyway, <laughs> he's eating his Burger King and he sees on his on his computer monitor a whole bunch of dead fish. And then he calls in uh, the real MVP of the movie, Assistant Kim, and is like, we got to dump all of our stocks on this biotech facility because some crazy shit went down. And Kim's like, uh, that's probably going to cause some bad effects. And uh, Sequel's just like, I don't pay you to think. Go. Well, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I have, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have questions about that then because, you know, he says that because I mean, I remember at the end, um, to John it up for a minute here, <laughs> like Kim is on the phone with him. He's like, did we do this? Did we create this outbreak? Like, are we responsible? Like, I have to know. Like, that was a great phone conversation where Kim's breaking down and like, you know, kind of really like reflecting on like what impact do they have? But if they just dumped all the stocks, how did that create? How is that like in any way related to what happened? I think the idea is it was their money and their investment that allowed this company to create this weapon or whatever. Oh, Okay. So it's like indirectly, like, yeah, I don't think they like instructed the company to make this, but they kind of enabled it. Kim's initial uh, hesitation to dump the stock was about causing issues with the market, right? That 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 is separate from his now having to reflect about his life choices at the end of the film. He, he's thinking more of the company as a whole there. Yeah. As where at the beginning of the film, when he's dumping the stock, he's like, won't this fuck everything up in terms of the economy? Like does the two different things, but I can see how that, that would make some confusion there. Yeah. The way John said it, I thought like, you know, by dumping the stock, they like, like, well, we have no more money to just start leaking this shit out into the, the open. I was like, how did that, <laughs> right. I was like, how do you connect those fucking dots? <laughs> <laughs> no, they had already done the leak. Yeah. Um. So he was just trying to cut and run. Yeah. Just the way you said it kind of made me like second guess. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did I have this wrong? <laughs> and I don't know if this was because of like really good acting and like the script writing or if this was just like my personal perception of the character. But I hated the dad character so fucking much. And I know we're supposed to like think of him as selfish and we're not supposed to like be endeared to him. But holy shit. I wanted that character to die so early on. I was like, honey, you're better off as an orphan. <laughs> I yeah, I think that's the journey the movie wanted you to go on, mm -hmm. right? Where it was when you meet him and this like uh, is about to happen where also right after he insults and dismisses Kim, he goes, hey, what do kids like these days? Because uh, it turns out it's his daughter's birthday and naturally he hasn't bought her shit yet. But he gets a phone call from his ex-wife and she's like, Hey, Suwon wants to come up here for her birthday tomorrow. She she said she can go on her own. Um, you know, she really misses me. Da 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 da. And he's like, obviously that's gibberish. I'm never gonna let my like eight year old daughter on the train on her birthday all by herself. I'll take her when I have time. 
And then she's like, don't forget it's your birthday tomorrow. And he gets very offended, which makes me think that he has forgotten in the past because his reaction, he like screams at her like, of course, I know it's her birthday. Like, mm, I think you're protesting too much, my man. <laughs> well, he, he goes inside and he meets his mom who nannies for him while he's at work. And she's like, hey, uh, Suwon had a recital today and she didn't finish the song and she you know really wanted you to be there it was a shame that you weren't there and he was like well you know i gotta work and he goes to see his daughter and she's under her blankets talking to her mom and she like hangs up when he comes in he's like oh you could have kept talking and she's like whatever what do you want dad and he gives her the present that he bought and it's a wee what do you want dad yeah <laughs> uh and it's a wee and she looks so disappointed and he's like Oh, do you not like Wheeze? And the camera, man, such great camera work, just like slowly pans up. And there's a Wii already at her TV, like plugged in. Okay. And she's like, yeah, you bought this for me like six months ago. It's even better because like she's holding the, the Nintendo Wii box in her hand and she's looking at it. And then they pan up like the Nintendo Wii is sitting there. But the box, the display box is right behind it. Just in case you don't know what a Wii looks like. <laughs> the actual like retail boxes behind it. So it's like, ah, it's the same thing, which I actually thought was really good because the Nintendo Wii looks like the weirdest fucking thing ever. And if you don't know what it is, you would be like, what the fuck did they just pan to? <laughs> Even at this point, we are 100% like indoctrinated that this guy is a bastard. He doesn't have his shit together. He doesn't really care about his family. And 80% of the movie, they spend like hammering that home for this character. So the 15% at the end, I'm not including five because it was like some dead space in there. But like 15% of the end, when we're supposed to be like, oh, he's actually caring about people um, or he's finally got a connection with his daughter. Who fucking cares? She's like, you know, like I, I sung that song for you. I, I learned how to do it. And, you know, just for you. And he's just like, I know, honey, I love you. And it's like, OK, that's great. This is empty words. Like, like I've had deadbeat dads. All right. I know what the fuck this is. This is like. There is nothing here. There's no redemption story other than the fact that he doesn't eat his daughter when he becomes a zombie, which I'm sorry, doesn't make me think you're a good guy. It basically just makes me go like, all right, like, honestly, she would have been better off taking the train by herself. I'm there. I said it. I'm done. Damn. You said a lot of things, but I have things to say about this scene before we walk away from the we fellas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First off. He gave her this Wii on some holiday called Children's Day. And I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck is a Children's Day? And I went and looked it up, and it started in 1923, and it was originally called Boys Day until 1975. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Well, at least they'd fix that, but it took them 60 years. To... <laughs> yeah, it's a long time. But it turns out it's a, it's a day that was founded by a children's writer uh, for children to have a sense of independence and national pride, and they highlight the dignity of children and their need for love, care, and respect, which brings me a lot of questions of, man, they really must have shat on children's up until 1923. <laughs> um, and they get these extra presents, and then me as being a pig-headed American, very greedy man, was like, does that mean that I missed out on a potential present day at being a U.S. kid? Where was my children's day? <laughs> Jesus, Mark. Good God. Yeah, it seems like you missed out on approximately 18 presents. I don't know how many <laughs> presents, you know, you, you get one per year, but uh, uh, yeah, some bullshit. 
You should go to your parents and send them a bill. On Children's Day, there's parades, public activities, museums, zoos, and amusement parks, and theaters are usually free for children. So you missed out on that too. Not just presents. Oh, Damn. that's cool. All we get is like a free fucking ice cream cone at Denny's nowadays. Fuck you, USA. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I, I realized that my life in America was probably much better. So I, I wasn't really upset. I just was like, hey, that's a holiday we didn't have. What is it? What does that entail? I'll tell you what, Mark, you're going to be astonished to know about how many holidays America doesn't have. A globe's worth. <laughs> oh, I thought everything was Americanized these days. <laughs> but did you guys get the fine? Did you guys catch the the end to the Wii plot line. There's more to this story. I don't know if you saw it. No, I did not know there was a story or a plot line. So please enlighten me. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> there was a, a point where the dad says, um, we can exchange the Wii for whatever else. And that's where he's like, you're taking me to see mom and she will not take no for an answer. And good for her. She totally checkmates him. Yeah, he's like, that's it, dad. I got you. That's not the end of it. She got herself a Nintendo 3DS. And that was sitting on the seat next to her on the train. You only see it for two seconds. Like, aha, they traded in that Wii before they got on the train. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she already had a 3DS. I was in the box, Garrett. I don't think she's just going to take the, the product box with her. Look, Mark, she's the kind of girl that put the retail box for the Wii <laughs> behind the Wii on her fucking dresser. She might be the kind of girl to take the retail box with her. <laughs> <laughs> I like my story better. They had to stop off at the KB Toys because they still exist over there. I'm totally making that up. I just like saying KB Toys before they got on the train to Busan. <laughs> I'm glad that you put the button on that plot line. I'll tell you what, I didn't even know it was happening. But now I feel like I have a, I just got into a deeper level of the movie. I'm one level deeper now. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So then after he gets guilted about the Wii, he goes and watches a video that his mom took of her singing and he sees that her, you know, that she's singing and I'm not going to badmouth child singing, but that was tough. Then he sees her quit and she kind of looks off at the distance and he like, you know, mournfully closes the camera. And next thing we know, they're in the car on the way to the train to Busan. Um, and as he's driving, there's a little bit of bonding time. And then we see like 17 fire trucks and ambulance and police cars rushing off to a, uh, a fire in, uh, looks like an apartment building. And I think that's supposed to be like the first clue that shit's going down. Yeah, I mean, they almost crash into the uh, parade of emergency vehicles, too. Yeah. Well, it is Children's Day, so there is parades. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, they make their way onto the train, and the, uh, as they board, we see somebody run and sneak onto the train. As I don't know how this guy missed it. I, I, I can't imagine that the terminal darkly lit with no lights but the guy the ticket taker whoever's in charge of letting people on the train looks to the left and then someone runs right by him and gets on the train now he was looking that direction before he turned his head you tell me he didn't see someone barreling as fast as they could to hop on that train because that was a fast yeah. sprint so i had a million notes about how unobservant people were in this movie but then i did some reading and it turns out and this is something I didn't know as an American, so I learned that that sort of element is um, sort of commentary on Korean culture where people tend to just not see things or like look away on things that they don't want to see. 
So the reason that like that woman who is we're you're referring to can like go through an entire train cart looking like just total trash and no one really looked or pay attention is that was like the director's way of being like sort of shining a light on how people in South Korea, um, you know, don't always uh, see what they don't want to see. Well, John, doesn't that happen in, in the U.S. too? Like, I mean, you were from New York. Didn't that shit happen on the subway? Don't you just kind of like ignore the like, oh boy, crazy person shit in a bag. I'm just going to focus on my my news. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I think it comes with any culture where you have to, where you live in close proximity to a lot of other people because you just can't be engaged with a hundred thousand people at a time. Like it's just impossible. So you just sort of learn to like, I'm just going to mind my own fucking business. And hmm. what's important to me is sort of what's in my area. So there you go, Mark. That's how it happened. Color <laughs> me educated then, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I had to go back and scratch out a bunch of notes about like, how could they not see this? What are they looking at? Uh, because it's pretty on the nose. And I guess, you know, I've, I think if you're, and it, this is, I think, one of the challenges of watching foreign movies and not being super familiar with the culture is I feel like there's a bunch in this movie that I probably just did not get that like a South Korean person would be picking up on that I, you know, obviously did not. Yeah, that's fair. So as John alluded, the girl that snuck on the train, she's infected. She's been bit. There's like some black veinies uh, going away from the bite mark on her leg. So one of the other things that I think differentiate uh, this zombie from others is the gestation period, right? Like when, when somebody's bitten in this movie, sometimes it seems almost instantaneous switch. Whereas um, the girl who gets on the train with the bet, uh, bite on her leg, she seems to take it like a good half hour. I think it's because of the tourniquet. She puts a tourniquet around the bite. And I think that is slows what it slowed it down for her. The girl with all the bits. <laughs> <laughs> for real. Okay. So you're saying like if you get bit on the, on the, on the foot, if you can uh, twisty tie your leg off a little bit, you get a few more minutes than saying bit, bit right in the neck where it goes straight to the brain maybe or something like that. Yeah. It's like, it's like venom. Right. That's uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think location and, uh, and blood flow. I mean, I think it's inevitable, right? No matter what, you are going to turn. Like the tourniquet isn't going to save you, but you might get an extra two, three, 20 minutes here or there. Yeah, because um, other characters have the same thing. Like she gets bit like in the, the lower part of the leg and then, you know, she tourniquets it. Later on, one of our characters gets bit in the hand and he's got about four to five minutes before he turns. Other people get bit in the, like, the, the neck area and they turn way faster. So I think it is about the, the blood flow. So, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll accept it. There was just certain people that would get bit, um, that seemed to last much longer than other people. So if it's location based, I'll accept it and move on. So the movie does something that I thought was pretty clever. And that is some of the passengers on the train here go up to one of the, the ticket takers and like, Hey man, some weirdo just got on the train and, uh, uh, it's, it's not too kosher. I think you need to go see what's going on. And he's like, Oh, okay. And, I immediately thought they were going to reveal the girl with the bite. No, there's another man who apparently that the movie didn't show us, but also snuck on the train and he's hiding out in a bathroom talking about how everybody was dead and he sounds like a crazy person. So everybody starts kind of crowding around him and then Sue Yen, her dad's asleep on the train and she wanders up to see what the commotion is. And I'm like, who's just letting this kid walk up to a th like an event, like 
push the kid away. <laughs> it's so weird. It's Children's Day. They can do whatever the fuck they want. No, it's not. It's her birthday. It's not Children's Day. Children's Day already happened. Yeah, that was six months ago when she got Wii number one. <laughs> We're at Wii number two, Carrot. Wii number two on the timeline. Yeah, and she like they, she gets right in the front. Like they don't know if this man is dangerous. He's just a he's just muttering, and they let her put herself between this unknown man and the train crew. It's like why would they let a child be in that position of danger? But they don't care at all <laughs> because it's Children's Day. And I think you're wrong. I think it is Children's Day because I think she's on the phone. She's like, for Children's Day, I want to come see you tomorrow. No, it's her birthday. Yeah, it's her birthday. Her birthday? Yeah, she has the worst birthday ever. Poor Sue Ann will never get to have a good birthday in her whole life because she's just going to remember, oh, yeah, my birthday is the day the whole fucking world ended. Well, to be fair, she got rid of that deadbeat dad, so she's doing all right. I want to meet that dad. Before Sue Yin inserts herself into this event uh, with the crazy man in the bathroom, they pass by the MVP of the movie. Uh, our, uh, was he like a wrestler? Like, did they ever say what his job was? Nope. He's nope, just he's an all-around badass. badass. <laughs> yeah, there you go, John. You got it. <laughs> and that's uh, Sang Hua. And um, Su Yin's trying to find a bathroom to go to. And Sang Hua's standing out in the aisle. And she goes up to a bathroom. And what, I don't know if this was just an odd translation or if he meant to say this, but he goes, you can't go in there. There's two people pissing in there. And I'm like, Wait, what? Yeah. What is what is being said right now? And later the re- revelation is it's his pregnant wife. It's like, oh, okay, two people. She's peeing for two. I feel like there could have been a better way for that phrase to be said. And then I was like, well, is this character just going to say weird shit throughout the movie? But no, this was it. And I really think it was like a translation thing. Has to be. It was so confusing. Because, yeah, I was like peeing for two. What the fuck? What are they talking about? Uh, it just had to be like a poor translation. Well, it wasn't even peeing for two. It was two people pissing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's completely different. And like, wait a minute. How does that work? <laughs> Let me explain to you how babies work. All right. The baby inside you pisses and then you piss out what the baby pisses. Oh, no, I get it. But there was no evidence of a pregnant anybody before that line was said. <laughs> also, I love later on. She just refers to it as the fetus. Like I was, I love the fact that she like was like very like it's just a fetus right now. Yeah, and um, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like I appreciate that. Yeah, she was she was awesome too. She was co MVP. Uh, I did like the wife. I thought she was a great character as well. Yeah, she turned around for me. So at this point, the outbreak occurs. Right, the girl in the bathroom with the bite turns, and then she walks out of the bathroom and starts convulsing and falls over. And then one of the uh, uh, what is what is a trained flight attendant. What 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 is that role called? I think it's just attendant. I don't tra- I don't think it's train attendant. I think it's just attendant. Okay. So one of the employees, the attendant, a female attendant starts attending to the girl who was turning into a zombie. She radios up to the front like, "Hey, there's something going on with this woman. We need a medical crew and and quickly." And then she turns her back on this person, which I thought was a really dumb idea. Even if she's not turning zombie, don't you want to keep that person in your line of sight? You don't need to turn around to have a conversation with anybody on a phone. Yeah, it was the whole thing was weird because she was like a medical emergency, like in her supervisor. He just is like, fuck. All right. And he's like slowly walking his way over there. It's like you think there'd be a little bit more of a hustle. 
if one of your employees is like, I think somebody's dying here, then he, do he doesn't start running until the zombie outbreak part comes. I worked at Six Flag Fiesta, Texas for one summer. Let me tell you, sometimes they're not running for shit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going on. I mean, I, I get it. I think there's also some cultural thing there of like turning away and like not saying it directly at them, but... Um, I don't know. I appreciated the fact that they got into it real quick. They just had her turn and then attack like ASAP. Like we didn't waste a whole bunch of time. Yeah. No, it was very, it was a very fast uh, outbreak. She, she jumps on her and chomps down on her neck. And then we get a good scene of the attendant walking through the aisles with the zombie lady, like jump piggybacking on top of her while everybody just looks at her and we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like yeah. nobody moves either until she turns, which is, like I said, this is one of those instantaneous turn, turning into a zombie. So now we got two zombies and just mayhem breaks out. Everybody starts freaking the fuck out and running to the opposite end of the train. And this is a really big train. We're talking, what, 17 cars or something like that? At least, yeah, because they're in car 14 at one point. So, yeah, I mean, there's quite a few trains or train cars. Yeah, I guess it's just a ma major mode of transportation. These things are going to be massive, you know, to, to fit in as many people as possible. Um, so that makes sense. Yeah, so it's mass chaos. People are turning left and right. And like Mark says, everyone's trying to run to the back of the train. And so eventually kind of... All of the survivors are at the back, more or less, except for Mr. MVP and his wife, co-MVP. And they're running, and everyone's yelling at uh, Seek, Woo, close the door, close the door. And he looks right in their face and fucking closes the door on them. Uh, but he has a change of heart, and he does open the door back up just enough to let them slide in. And they're like, you dick. And they and so right away, Sanghua and Seek, Woo, do not get along. He's like, I can't believe you closed the door on me. And he's and Sikwu's like, look, it's not just me. There's like a bunch of people in this drink car. I didn't know what was going to happen. He's like, you're a real dick. You know that? And his wife, though, super smart, grabs some newspaper, wets it and like throws it up on the window. Uh, so all the doors, I think this is important. All the doors on the train are of like plexiglass. Uh, so you can see right through them. So she covers up the doors and as soon as the zombies can't see the people, they just calm down. They just go about their zombie business. Uh, and so now the movie kind of takes a breather. They got real object permanence issues. Like, I think at one point, like, um, oh, God, what was his name? The MVP. Korean Harada. Sanghua. He basically is like, wait, I don't think they know how to work the door. Like, he, he sees it. He's like, let go. Let go of the door. And then that's when the wife's like, oh, shit, you're right. Puts the newspaper up. I mean, that's the stuff that I love the most about this movie is like all the little subtle moments between these characters. Because, I mean, you have your mm -hmm. your major like blatant arcs like, you know, um, Korean Harada thinks that, you know, businessman is a complete asshole or dad is a complete asshole. And they have that like whole thing going on. But like there's always these moments of like, I don't want to call them levity, but these moments of like figuring things out about the environment that really kind of like showed me that when they wrote the script, they really, really thought about everything around, not just like what the characters' actions were. But uh, that was a really cool scene. And that's where I, I got to kind of disagree with you, Garrett, on the dad's arc, his overarching. Uh, you, you said that he's still a shit dad or, or by, the, by the end of the movie. I don't think that's true because now he's going to have this moment with uh, MVP Sang Hua, right? He's like, you're an asshole. And they're going to they're gonna have this this journey 
right? Where he keeps calling him out and you see the dad start to think about other people other than himself. No, no. I so Where he's going to save other people. You know what I mean? I get that. And we got a little bit of that. But the thing is, is it was like, it was just way too little too late, in my opinion. Like in the movie, it's not until like almost three quarters of the way does he actually start saving other people, you know? And, and it's usually only because, you know, Korean Harada is like yelling at him and calling him a dick. And it's like without that external like force of like, you know, like pointing out consistently, like you're being a dickhead, stop being a dickhead. He really doesn't come to these things on his own. Not until the very last. Well, that's how people grow. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, something like, you know, caring about people, it's like, man, I don't know. It, it didn't it didn't catch for me. I had a real problem with it, especially at the end where he's just like with the daughter. The daughter's instantly cool with like, like, oh, OK, I've seen you save one person. All is forgiven. I was like, this is years of neglect, hon. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, you know, you need more than that. I mean, she's like an eight year old girl. Of course, she's going to be sad at what's about to happen. Like, what did you think she's going to? Is she supposed to be like, thanks, dad, but uh, this is not enough. Uh... Yeah, I think I think she should have opened the door and be like, do a header. <laughs> like, you know, like... the the eight year old was not around or, or coherent enough for the quote unquote years of neglect. She only finds out her dad's a piece of shit literally in the movie. Yeah. Like whenever Korean Harada literally starts talking shit about her dad in front of her and the mother, the pregnant lady's like, don't say that in front of the daughter. And then the daughter's like, well, I guess he's kind of saying what everybody's thinking, right? Like she, she goes through her own journey of like, oh, my dad is a piece of shit. Right. But then she watches him redeem himself. Oh, she did not look surprised by that. <laughs> she totally was because in when they get to the first stop, when the dad tries to drag her away from the crowd, she realizes that her dad's a piece of shit and starts crying right there in the middle of the fucking train station. So she totally does. That's the moment of realization that her dad sucks. No, she realizes before that, Mark. So in this very scene, she gets a seat and this is where we meet the two older people. Suan gets up and lets one of the elderly ladies sit down and her dad's like, why did you do that? Uh, you should, in moments like this, you always have to think about yourself first. And Suan's like, well, you know, Granny's knees always hurt, so I thought it'd be a nice thing to do. And her dad's like, mm, you're going to need to cut that bullshit out. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was the line. <laughs> yeah, but that, was, that wasn't her, that wasn't the epitome of the realization. That was just like, oh, dad's being a kind of a dick here. All right, fair. But like when her dad was literally going to drag her away so everybody else could die and save their own skins, that, that is literally the, the, poem, the moment where she's like, my dad sucks and just can't handle it. I don't think that was the moment she realized it. I think that was the moment it was solidified in her mind because she was talking shit on the phone. Like when she was under the cover, she was like, I want to come see you. Dad's like... You know, like she knew her dad was fucking garbage before then. It was just at that point she was like, oh, wow, this is complete garbage, <laughs> not just the garbage directed at me. Like, I guess it was more of a like, oh, this extends to everyone, not just my failed <laughs> like relationship with them. But yeah, no, it was it was very heartbreaking to see that kid have to like realize that her dad was like. She's like, well, we got to go tell them they're going to get ambushed. And he's like, no. And she's like, what the fuck do you mean? Like she starts crying. Oh, man, that was heartbreaking. I was like, oh, you poor girl.
But again, this is why the dash just jump off the train way earlier. <laughs> She'd just be better off with carrying people. Like I would have loved if uh, the the expected uh, husband and wife had like adopted her and just taken her in. That would have been so much better. Well, I think some of that happens. I think the dad was very pivotal to their survival to the end. Even though a lot of people die along the way, he saves her multiple times Mm -hmm. uh, especially when they get to the train station blockade like he's really heavy lifting there you know what i mean without him they would have died that's only at a legal obligation though i bet he didn't (laughs) care you guys leave out one thing in the the movie that we got introduced to was the uh the south korean baseball team right that was on the uh the train uh they're going to someplace and but they're in like full baseball you know gear and uh uniforms and uh one girl like sneaks on and she's like I'm your cheerleader so I'm going to go like how did you how did you manage this and she's like I'm here to like cheer you guys on she goes and sits next to one dude and she's like what are you listening to yanks his earphone out of his ear and she's like you're not listening to anything and he's like just leave me alone and then my favorite line of the movie is like look I like you you should just appreciate that and get on board with this <laughs> And everyone's like, get on board, get on board. I was like, holy crap, man, this is insane. I love that scene so much. It was so bizarre. That happened to me every Friday at the pep rallies. Girls would just flock to me, (laughs) yank my earbuds out, take my discman away and be like, I am your destiny. You know what I mean? It was rough going in in high school, guys. (laughs) I bet. Sounds terrible. (laughs) Wait, what happened? None of that's true. Let's get back to the movie. (laughs) So as I said, they're going to the, we kind of skipped ahead a little bit, but uh, they get a radio, the conductor gets a radioed over and is like, hey, at the next stop, the military's taken over. This is going to be the last stop for the train. You guys all have to get off at like, it was like Donagen or something like that. I think it's like Dijon, Dijon, Dijon. Dijon, there you go. So they, they get informed that Dijon is going to be the last stop and there's this dickhead CEO who ends up being the major villain of the film for us. Uh, he's like, no way, we got to make it to Busan. But they're like, no, man, we got to stop and see what's going on at this station. Kim calls the dad and says, hey, listen, we've got a back way for you to go. No, that's not what happens. No way! Rejected! Boom. <laughs> the dad goes to a different train and calls this guy, Lieutenant whatever, and is like, look, is Dejan safe? And they're like, yeah, the military's there. We're going to put you in quarantine. And he's like, I can't go into quarantine. I'm with my daughter. Can you, how else can I go? And he's like, all right, when you get off the train, everyone's going to go straight. You make a right. I'll let my guys know that, uh, you know, that you two are coming. And he's like, all right, cool. And then he goes back to the train and that's how they set it up. Uh, while analyst Kim is an MVP of the movie, not related to how uh, he almost gets everybody killed. Okay. I'm glad that John will stop me dead in my tracks, just like the train to Busan, to make sure that Kim does not get any fucking credit that he doesn't deserve. Good on you. I'm just trying to prevent our listener from uh, losing faith in our ability to poorly recreate the plot of this movie. Can we start using the term listeners as in plural? Because every time you say listener, I just get really sad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and this is the scene where they get off and they they go to the East Gate and this is where we get like, you know, the scene that I just described where, you know, the dad's like, we're going to go this way. Everyone else is going to quarantine. Oh, no, the the homeless guy, the guy that was in the bathroom shows up. And he's like, no, I heard your phone call. I'm going with you because they're going to put everyone in quarantine. And the little girl's like, we got to go tell him. And that's when the dad's like, fuck him. And then um, and she just breaks down crying as we talked about. We cut back to the people who the military, you know, are there. But the military has been infected. So 
Now we got military zombies and they are bum rushing the people. So everyone's like panicking and running back to the train. Yeah. And this, this whole scene is so well shot. The, the choreographed zombie attack, uh, watching everybody try to run back and like, so we were probably at what safe to say, maybe 60 survivors, 50 ish survivors. And now that this horde of military zombies, plus whoever was at the station in Donegan, did I say that right? Dajin? Close enough. Dijon. Dijon. Every, they're getting bum rushed, right? So now we're, get, we're losing survivors left and right, and we're probably going to whittle this down to about 2025. MVP Korean Harada takes uh, a moment to actually save asshole dad. And that's part of his lesson that he's learning throughout the way. Is like, oh, I, other people care about me. Maybe I need to do that as well. Um, but he, he's the whole time is like, hey, asshole, come on, get back on the train. Hurry up. Let's go. I think also he's got a he's starting to get a soft spot for the the girl as well. Right. He saves the, the daughter's life because the daughter is about to get bitten. And the dad had like run away from he's like, you stay right here. And he's running down a hallway to what he thought was a soldier. And when all this shit hits the fan, like we described, his daughter is about to get bitten when uh, Singhua like punches the zombie, picks her up, you know, hands her to his wife and they run off. Yeah. And then when he, we say punches the zombie, this dude, they they set him up as like the physical, like badass. Like he's like full on, like upper uh, you know, uppercutting and like punching out zombies and like r- twisting their necks and snapping them. The dude's like bulk, man. Um, so when he's fighting zombies, he's just going toe to toe with them. Uh, which is really cool because everyone else is kind of using their environment and, you know, using their, their cunning to, to kind of get around them. This dude's like, I've got fists. I'm good. Yeah, there's some good riot shield and baton action, too, going on that I really enjoyed. Yeah, at first I was like, what the fuck's he doing? Because he was like slowing down while he was trying to get on the train. And then I saw what he was going for. And I was like, bright move, dude. Bright move. Brains and brawn. That's a good father right there. You see what I'm saying, guys? He would have been better off adopting Soon Woo or whatever her name was. And boom, end of story. Suyin, yes. Uh, so eventually the survivors get back on the train and now they're split into three groups. There's Sik Woo, Sanghua, and the baseball kid. Those three are a group. The wife, whose name I can't remember, uh, Suwon, and um, one other person... Oh, um, one of the elderly uh, ladies are a group, and then kind of everybody else, um, the C, the COO and um, the baseball kid's girlfriend, and like the remaining kind of nameless survivors who you know are all going to die, are a third group, and they're kind of spread throughout the train, and they don't know of each other. These three groups are kind of they don't they don't have a way to really successfully communicate. And that third group is actually the big group is towards the front of the train, more towards the front of the train. The uh, middle group with the expected mother, the daughter, and um, the older lady. One thing to point out is that older lady was there with her sister. They got separated, so that's an important plot line that you're going to need to remember. And then at the very end of the train, around like car 15 or whatever that's where you know uh the baseball kid who has the girl that has a crush on him korean harada and the shitty dad those are where they're on they got to get to the front of the train somehow and that's kind of like the next whole that's like almost like act two of this movie is them trying to get to um the front of the train right so i think the dad calls the daughter or the badass calls his wife i can't remember somebody calls somebody and they're like uh look we're alive we're on cart nine and they're like, shit, we're on car 15. You know, we have to go rescue them. Uh, and then like Garrett said, that's the plan. They're going to fight their way 
from uh, where they are at to where the wife and the kid are, which, I mean, I get it. I probably would make the same decision to try and rescue them because they're trapped in a bathroom. It doesn't quite dawn on them that they could use the tunnels to their advantage until they're about to be overtaken at one point on their quest to get to train nine. And then they go into a tunnel and then all the zombies just stop and they're like, oh shit, let's, let's fucking make a move. You know, let's, let's get up a little closer. And I like how segmented everything feels. It's like, it's almost like a level, right? They got to go to level one, level two, level three to make it to the end goal here. Uh, but I think that worked really well for the segmentation of this journey. It gave you time to breathe in between and then kind of plan out the next uh, train car and how they were going to tackle it. Cause each one is a little bit different. Right. And I think they do. I like, they do a good job of mixing kind of just in some cards, they just fight their way through just pure muscle. And then in others, they like use kind of tactics. Um, you know, they like crawl on the luggage rack or they, uh, use the phone as like a noisemaker to draw all the zombies away so they can sneak through the door. Uh, I thought, you know, they were, they were just very creative. The, the three people that are in the last car, um, Korean Harada, the shitty dad and the baseball player. What, what's so great about this is these three characters, like at the start of this whole uh, chapter, like it doesn't seem that big of an impact. It's like, Oh, these three characters are together. But as they start going through each one kind of gets to showcase uh, their weaknesses and some of their strengths, which is really great because the first car, you know, they kind of just like they're just fighting through being kind of badasses. And you get to see the the shitty dad kind of stepping it up like, you know, he's really putting in some effort, helping the other two around him, which is really cool to see. You kind of see that he's he's slowly starting to, you know, realize that it's it can't just be him. Then they get to a car where like all his uh, the baseball teammates are turned into zombies and the baseball players like he's kind of shell shocked. He can't fight them. So the shitty dad and uh, Korean Harada kind of like take the lead and kind of, you know, take them out for him. It was a really great like moment of like showing how like they were picking up for each other's weaknesses and the, the balance of that really worked well. And through that, you know, we get the, the tunnel scene. Um, and as John, as John mentioned, they do um, the, the dad is like, hey, give me your cell phone. I, I figured out a plan. We can use this as a distraction. And he throws it. And then he calls it to distract him. And it's like this really shitty K-pop song. And then they get to the car and they, they get to that car and they close the door. And it's all like, what's up with your shitty ringer? He was like, what's wrong with my ringer? Also, how do you change your ringtone? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really great moment of like comedy, which in this movie did not have a lot of, you know, in more American horror, you get like those moments of levity and they tend to, you know, default to comedic, you know, stuff to kind of, you know, uh, defuse the situation. This was one of the very few moments in this movie that we actually had uh, uh, some comedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's not like a comic relief character, which for sure, when they make remake this movie, they're going to shoehorn in. So they fight their way. They get, they meet up with the mid group. Uh, so now father and daughter, husband and wife, all reconnected. Um, and this group now is like, okay, we're going to go as a, as a unit to go meet up with the other group that has the base, the girl who has the crush on the baseball kid. And so he calls her and is like, all right, you know, we're all together. We're coming. Uh, just, you know, heads up. We're on our way. And this is where COO reincarnates into like Dr. Fucking evil. <laughs> and is like, uh, how do we know these people aren't infected already? <sighs> I mean, I get it. Cause everyone's panicked. And like, I understand that logic isn't, 
like in people's minds. But we've ne- these fucking zombies can't use doors. How are they text? How do they think they're texting and making phone calls? You say logic's not really in their minds, except this guy is being logical. He's being like clearly ev- evil and logical. Like he's using his evilness to like logic them into fucking over the. Re- you know, like you know, it's like you said, you know. There's so many reasons why they should all believe, like, oh, they're not actually zombies. But this dude starts poisoning their minds. Like, mm-hmm. no, anyone who's not in this car is dead to us. Yeah. Which kind of seemed a, not completely out of line, but he kicks it up to 11 real fast. It's just bonkers, right? And she's like, and the, the girl is like, uh, what are you talking about? Those are like our friends and family. We are not just, they're not, they're not zombies. And they like basically kidnap her they they hold her arms back they like cover her mouth so she can't answer the phone or scream it's like holy shit uh so yeah isn't this the part where correct me if i'm wrong guys this is the part where they actually make it to the car they're banging on the door to be let in and they won't let them in mm -hmm. i I do not remember how they let them in though so they fight their way to the to the groups um so there's a little bit more drama there you know um and the group Uh, with the COO, has tied the door shut using neckties. So they can't get in. And behind them is just this mob of zombies, right? And like the, I would say second saddest, Garrett will probably say saddest scene in the movie happens where our MVP is like holding the door shut, him and the the bad dad. um, And they're like, you know, and every the remaining characters are banging, trying to get the other group to let them in and they won't let them in. And they're, uh, the baseball kid's, Beating on the door with his bat to try and break the glass, the MVP gets bit in the hand. And that fucking sucked. I was so upset when that happened. I had a feeling that was going to be, he would be the one to get it because there were so many moments of the movie up at that point where I thought he was going to get it before then. I was like, yeah, this could be some foreshadowing, you know? Um, And plus he's the muscle, right? He's, He's always been the one that's almost been you know, in that close proximity with their mouths. True. Almost the entire movie. It was just bound to happen. But you're right. I was I was pretty bummed. I was like, oh man, there goes the MVP. Can I ask you guys a question? And you know, you might you might have more information on this tonight. Can you remember a movie where they did where they have like an endearing character who like a zombie film or anything like who's just a really good person all around like doesn't have a fucking bunch of drama and baggage and shit with them and they actually survive because I'm getting real tired of having total badasses like do everything for everyone and then get it at the fucking end for like this big emotional pull of like oh shucks that character you like like that's the dude who would survive that's the smart one that's the one who's like like I don't know it pisses me off when movies do that so much and I can't think of another movie where like the really good character who like is selfless and awesome and capable makes it to the end. What about the the gal from Day of the Dead? Didn't she make it to the end the main character of that? Yeah, but she's like all like traumatized and shit like that. She's dealing with like her own like like I'm talking about people who are not like like oh my god like in even Night of the Living Dead, you know, like the girl becomes a badass at the end, but like for the first part, she's kind of worthless. Same with day, you know, she's kind of, you know, like, Oh, we're never going to make it out of here. I don't know what to do. Blah, blah, blah. And then like, she totally comes into her own. I don't think it happens. They have to pull your heartstrings and it works. I mean, it's just, I think there's certain beats to a story that folks expect. Um, and yeah, I mean, beloved character who dies three quarters of the way through the movie is probably like in one of those screenwriter handbooks, you know? All right. You're on page 90 of your 120 page script. Kill the beloved character 
uh, to raise the stakes. I think that's why in Scream, when Jamie Kennedy gets killed and then comes back and he's like not actually dead at the end. I was so glad when that happened. I think that's one of the reasons Scream is so subversive in its in its writing is that like it does take all these tropes and kind of twist them just enough to where you're like, it feels familiar, but it also kind of like, you know, spins it on. You're like, ah, you didn't expect this because when, yeah, I guess that would be the one example I could think of, but they do tr- like make it seem like he dies though. Cabin in the woods. Uh, fuck, I can't remember the guy's name. Shaggy. Yeah. Shaggy. We thought he <laughs> died and we find out that he was just hiding in the elevator. Yeah. Good point. Good point. All right. Anyway, sorry to derail that. Get it? Derail that. <laughs> oh, but I'm bumped. So yeah, so uh, Korean Harada gets bit. Uh, yeah, so he's like, he tells the, the bad dad, Sukwu, to like, I right, look, you got, go. I'm going to hold this for as long as I can. Like, you got to go open that other door. Um, so he holds it back and we see him like slowly to Mark's point, right? He's like slowly fighting, becoming a zombie. And eventually they bash through the door and the survivors are able to go into the other car uh, they slam the door closed. So now there's once again, kind of the movies taking a breath. Zombies are in one car. Humans are in another. Uh, Suk Wu punches the CEO like right away. He's like, you killed those people. We all could have survived. Uh, not only does our favorite character die, but the elderly sister uh, also dies. She doesn't, she's not fast enough. Um, so those two characters died in this disaster caused by the COO. And so as he's like, just getting beaten, he's like, He's Sukwu is infected. Look at his eyes. He's about to turn. Uh, all of these people are infected. And the bunch of fucking, I don't even know what they are, like losers in that car. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, these people who in no way are exhibiting any symptoms are probably uh, infected. And they kick him out of the car. Uh, and they're like chanting, like, leave, leave, leave. So they all leave. I've never hated a group of people more in a movie in quite some time. Like every <laughs> one of those people that made those people leave, I'm like, you gutless coward pieces of shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they know they're not infected. I think they were too ashamed of what they did. I agree. Just look them in the face. So they're like, go sit in the other train, assholes. It is us two are the assholes, but we can't look at you. That's what I got from it. Yeah. That actually is really astute because that's, you know, like, that's the way it felt. I mean, I didn't actually have words for it until you said that they, they are, it it almost feels like they're, it's easier not to have to deal with what we just did than to, you know, admit the mistake and move on. Um, but yeah, no, they, they totally send them to the annex car, which is the car in front. They're such dicks. Not only did they kick them out, what he has them do is tie the door closed again so that they couldn't open. Cause I think this comes into play what's about to happen and why they couldn't escape. Uh, they tie the door shut yet again so that uh, people can't enter or leave the car. And this is where this is where post-pandemic brain Mark has to go into play and say, no, this probably might happen this way because I feel like we're having a failure of logic. Mm-hmm. Um, no one's thinking clearly. And maybe it's the shame of what they did getting old, old gal and uh, Korean Harada killed um, that they don't want to think about it smartly. But now the zombies are that much closer to your train car and you're putting the people you think are quote unquote infected further from the zombie horde. You know what I mean? And and tying that door shut. What if something happens like what's about to happen and they overrun your car? Now you've tied yourself up to the uh, zombies and and you're fucked. Why don't you move to the annex car and leave them closer to the zombies? Right. Exactly right. So uh, this movie starts to break down a little bit for me, but I got to tell myself, no, I've seen us in 2020 
I uh, think this could actually play out exactly like this. So the, yeah, the old sister, um, the old sister, the old lady whose sister got infected um, is sitting there going like, yeah, you know what? This is kind of shitty. We almost, we did kill these people. You know, you, you always tried to help everyone else. You never helped yourself. And that's why you're in this situation. You're infected in a zombie and I can't believe you. And then she like reflects on what they just did. And they're like, I guess we're no better because we didn't help these people. And then she's like, all right, fuck it. She goes and opens the door to where the zombies are because she's like, well, you know, we deserve this. We, they should all be destroyed. And, um, the, the business guy, the shitty business guy is like, someone stop that woman. And she opens it up. And then the, the people safe in the annex car are hearing everyone get eaten alive inside, uh, the previous car, which has been tied shut. But just to foreshadow, the shitty businessman locks himself in a bathroom with one of the attendants. So they are hiding out in there. Uh, that was such a tease. I was like, yeah, fuck you, dude. I'm glad <laughs> that you're a little zombie bastard now. Uh, and then like five minutes later, we find out that uh, he survived. I was like, fuck. Uh, so I, I respect the movie, though, for doing that to me. Playing with my emotions like that. There was still 38 minutes left in this movie at this point, too. I was just like, I, I checked the time and I was like, whoo, boy. Yeah. Uh, what's about to happen, like this whole fourth act, honestly, I think is the weakest part of the movie. And I think it's because this movie's a little too long. Well, I just, I'd like to just kind of linger a little bit on the final act of the elderly woman opening the door to let the zombies in. Were you guys able to reconcile that action? Like, did you feel that you accepted her reasoning for it? Or like... It almost didn't make sense to me. Like, yes, your sister's dead. Is this something you're doing in the moment of grief? Or is this like really like you being the judge, an executioner more more so for every other person in this train car? It's totally both because she and her her dialogue, you know, she she talks to the sister about like being like, you're the one to always stop and help people. You're the one that like, you know, was always like willing to to extend a helping hand like that. And now you're dead because of it. And then I think because of that exact realization of like having to admit like you're you were doomed due to your niceness. And then that is that is rolls right into her her reflection of we didn't do shit. We actively worked against helping people. We're fucking trash. We're no better than the zombies. And I think she's like, all right, I guess that's where we belong. And she just makes that call for everyone. I believed it. I thought it I thought. It, granted, it's a dumb decision, but I definitely see how her character made that that connection real fast. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't necessarily pick up everything that Garrett's saying, but now I kind of like get it. But you know, I also thought like she saw her zombie sister, she saw her face, and that's like kind of lured her. And I just thought it was like, all right, there's this people, these two people who have been together like their whole lives. Uh, I think she was just like, I don't know that I can go on without her. Like, I think there's a lot of conflicting things in this person's mind, and it just she just snapped. She snapped with everything that was happening and was like, you know what? I'm just going to go do this thing. So, I mean, was it a logical decision? No, but I think I could buy that it was an emotional decision. Okay. We deserve to be where you are because, you know, our shitty behavior was the cause of this. And how much more How much more of just than her, of the sister, are we the cause of? Yes. So, I mean, it made perfect sense. And it was a really, really well done moment because, like, her... Her little monologue she says when she does it, mwah, it's so it's so impactful. So our annexed folk now persists of who? Who's left? We've got uh, Sue Yin. We've got asshole dad. Uh, we got pregnant wife. We've got baseball kid. We got his crush, and we got homeless guy. 
and the conductor. We haven't talked about it, but the train conductor is also a character. Basically, what he's been doing is getting the train to Busan. So, but he's also technically alive and he comes into play right now because they hit a train roadblock, a train block, a rail block. They can't go any further. If the Everything's all fucked up and the train can't go. So he gets on the PA and he's like, look, I'm going to find a train uh, that works. I'm going to the, all the way to the leftmost track. Good luck. Go there. Godspeed. And that sort of sets up the next bit of the movie. Yeah. And we didn't touch really on too much on the conductor, but I also loved his character as well because he's the kind of guy you want in an emergency situation. Like he doesn't falter. He doesn't move away. He's doing his duty. Even his shit is hitting the fan. Like he's like, no, I got a job to do. I got to keep these people safe. I got to keep the train moving no matter what. And I mean, anybody else could have just fled. You know what I mean? He doesn't have to run that train. Mm -hmm. He could have turned tail and ran away and, and to save his own skin, but he doesn't. And ultimately, that's going to be his undoing here shortly. Yep. <laughs> well, no, that's not his undoing. Helping that fucking asshole businessman is his undoing. He should have just stayed on that train. That's what I mean. But he's still being a nice guy. He's still trying to protect and, you know, kind of shepherd these people. So he sees somebody in need. Turns out it's the wrong guy that you you don't want to help this dude. And it, it backfires. But let's talk about the scene. In, John, you said this was the weakest part of the movie. What is it about this scene that makes it weak for you? Because this is some some pretty action-heavy stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe it's just because I don't know if this movie needed to be as long as it was. So, like, by this point, I'm just like, really? Now another fucking train is going to hit this train and they're going to get trapped? And it's just like, if they, like, they could have cut, I think, a lot of this and just jumped right to, like, the very end. And the emotional impact would have been essentially the same. To your point, this is just all action fluff for the most part. There's not a ton of character development. We see the COO be even more of a dick. It's like, all right, we already hated this guy. I don't know that I could hate him any more than I already do. I don't know. I just think that if they'd cut all of it out, I don't know that I would have really missed it. And it would have made the movie a nice, tight 90 minutes, which is my jam. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the scene is is a little redundant in the fact that they could have edited it out and we wouldn't have really lost too much from the film other than the fact that we see, you know, a couple more instances of people being selfless and either paying the price for that or being heroic with it. I, I My problem is, is um, they get separated into two different groups, like the businessman's by himself. So he goes and kind of, I don't want to say sabotages, but ends up fucking over the conductor who's already got the new train moving. The other group is trapped under some other train cars. And at this point, the homeless guy is um is going to basically like, you know, hold the door. Hold on. So the rest of the people can escape. I see what you did there. Yeah, nice. You And so like everyone else escapes while he kind of sacrifices himself. So we lose another character. We lose. We also lose uh, the COO in his flight of, of murder also kills the uh, baseball kid and his crush. Yes. Like the most dickish way possible. So they're trying to open a door. He jumps onto the train and he fucking throws that chick to a zombie. Yeah. Just throws her. It's like, get the fuck out of my way. Yeah. You guys missed one. He he did that to get out of the bathroom. He sacrificed attendant guy. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. He's like, go get out there. Go quick, quick, quick. And threw him out there and he gets eaten so the businessman can get away. So that's the second time he's thrown a, a person into the zombie horde. What a dick. I hope you guys wouldn't judge me. But if I saw someone like that in our group, I would be like, all right, hands up. I'm going to fuck this guy over, right? Yeah. Like I would straight up be like, this is a long term detriment. And I hope you guys don't judge me, but I'm tripping his ass straight up. Yeah, he definitely should have been a zombie much sooner. 
the homeless man dies, the baseball kid dies, his crush dies, um, the attendant dies, and the conductor dies. So we find ourselves with the bad dad, Sue on, the pregnant wife, and the COO on the last train. If I can, and, I, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to backtrack this train too much, but I feel that we do need to touch on the scene where the two trains are starting to collapse in on each other, and we've got the homeless man, pregnant wife, Su Yin, and the dad trapped between the two trains. Because this is another moment where our dad is, is his character growth comes into play, where he starts saving everybody, right? He He's trying to get them out of there, and he gets out of from under the train, and then the windows explode from the two trains and just zombies are dropping out. But he stops and has to wrench that, like a giant piece of debris out of the way to pull them out from under the wreckage just in time. But the uh, homeless man has to sacrifice himself from all the oncoming hordes and he gets taken out. That character was there only to basically like emphasize and uh, really show us the, the dad's growth from the beginning when he first is like, fuck him, we're not going to tell him. And to this point where he's like, yeah, we'll help people out. You know, that that character was really just a tool to kind of illustrate the dad's uh character arc in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And maybe that's why they didn't need to flesh him out. We already had enough characters already. Um, so his death wasn't as impactful as it could have been, or the movie would have been, a, you know, three hours long cause we had to flesh out everybody. They all get on a train. So we're down to our last group of people. This is where the, the, uh, the, the, the businessman had snuck aboard the train car before our last surviving members. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's just a train engine. There's actually not a, a whole train connected to it. It's just a, it's just an engine that the, uh, the conductor was like, Oh, we'll take this and use this as a, a bullet to our destination. So, uh, yeah. And we're so close to the end here. And now this part, I think the movie picks up again. So I'm, I do like the ending. It's just the part in between that I was like, eh, I could, you know, take it or leave it. So the, the businessman is sitting in the train car. The bad dad opens the door and we see that he ultimately had been bitten and now he's starting to turn. And um, he does not pick this as a time to be noble. So instead he just starts crying about how he wants to go home and be with his mom. And we're all just supposed to feel real sorry because this guy who's been a just a sociopathic murderer suddenly has a conscience and feels sad that he's dying. And then he turns and now the dad is fighting the business, the zombie businessman. He's trying to keep himself in between the pregnant wife and uh, Suan. And this scene right here is a real reflection of, you know, capitalism versus the the ego of man, um, the battle of, you know, like, you know, corporate America versus the the greater good of helping your fellow man. It was really subtle. And like, you know, I thought it was really well played. But um, yeah, it just it's all there on the screen. So, you know, I appreciated them taking a real stab at capitalism and, you know, just the the utter failure of, of mankind when it comes to, you know, the self over the greater good. Oh, I might be reading too much into this. <laughs> no, I dig it, man. It's like an onion. No, I think you're pretty close, Garrett. I think there's a lot of class warfare messages in this movie as well. But there's also the the, the moment where the businessman is turning zombie and he's he's turning into a blubbering child. I think that really is trying to tell us, like, look, these selfish assholes who only think about themselves at the end of the day are just children. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of what the movie was trying to portray, this whole character. Like, he's selfish. He's getting other people killed. But he's really just a child inside. Something like that. You know, I'd be like, you know what? It sucks, but if it's just how it is, if he was only 
passively getting people killed, but he is active. He's a murderer. This man murders people. Um, so I got like I felt zero pity for him when he was all I want my mother like well sucks to be you dude yeah absolutely so they you know then it's like a couple of minutes of a fight I'm not gonna go blow by blow through the fight but ultimately bad dad gets bitten I thought you should have gone blow by blow <laughs> well I couldn't even I bad dad throws a left bad dad throws a right and it's against the ropes he's against the railing and here comes CEO out of the corner he's got an uppercut he's got a left he's got a right and he's down and there's the bell <laughs> The CEO gets thrown off the train to his death. Goodbye. Good riddance to bad rubbish. And now the dad's bit and he's like trying to wrap up some shit. Right. So he takes the, the wife in or sorry, the, the pregnant wife and is like, all right, here's the break. Here's the gas. You just keep going. So you can't go anymore and then hit the break. And then he goes to his daughter and he's like, look, you know, I, I sorry. This sucks. I'm, I love you, uh, but I got to go. And she's like, don't go. And it I mean, I don't know. I know, Garrett, you weren't into this scene, but I was one more act of fatherly abandonment where he just breaks his child's heart. I'm just saying it never ends with this guy. <laughs> thought it was so sad. And I thought the actress who played Suan did such a good job. I'm, I'm giving it shit. It is one of the saddest moments of the movie because she is so she's seen the change. You know, he 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 realizes now what he has in his daughter um, and then the, the dialogue between them where she talks about how she learned the song just for him and the fact that he wasn't there um, at the recital. I mean, it is gut wrenching. It's a great scene. It's just one of those scenes where, again, like at this point, I still did not give a fuck about this dad because I was like to the to your last breath. You have done nothing but disappoint your daughter. <laughs> I think he's had a great character arc. One of my number one complaints in movies is like characters don't change. I think this character grew and changed and you could see it. And I mean, was it a little ham fisted? Sure. But I, I, I bought it. I was like, oh, I can't believe he's got to go. Then he goes to the back of the train and he's turning now and he's trying to like fight it. And he's having memories of like his kid's birth. And so like he's smiling as he's becoming a zombie. Yep. Uh, and then it, sort of switches into like a shadow view. So you just see the shadow of the train and, and him, and then you just see a shadow kind of fall off the back of the train. As Jack Nicholson Joker would say, if you gotta go, go with a smile. <laughs> and he does. <laughs> that is great. Uh, and he does, yeah. And this was the best remake of Throw Mama from the Train we've ever seen. <laughs> Definitely. Now, which one was Danny DeVito? <laughs> <laughs> the little girl. <laughs> right. This movie has some amazing cinematography. That shot where it is the uh, the gravel, the the fast speed gravel as the train's moving, um, and then his shadow on the the back of the engine, and as he falls off, you just see the shadow on the ground of him doing that. That was so so moving this movie has some great great cinematography but that that scene definitely to not actually see him fall and more just kind of like the shadow of him what's left of him really really like lifted that scene to a whole other level of like wow so at that point i guess the the pregnant mom hits the brake and then they're walking down the track um with the daughter and her and she's pregnant. So let's point out that she's walking a little bit pregnant, which is almost a little zombie. -y. I thought 
she was going to give birth. I like near the end. It, I thought she was like, oh, is this going to be like a labor scene now? Is that what this movie's throwing at me? Oh, God. Thankfully, it doesn't because that would have been too much. But if that little girl had to give <laughs> birth that baby and she's like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> or even worse, if like she gave birth and the COO was there and he chunked that baby off the fucking train. Woo. That would have gotten dark real fast. These were all rough drafts before we got the final cut of the film. <laughs> <laughs> so as they're walking down, they're go, they reach a tunnel, and there's a bunch of wreckage and stuff, so they got to go on foot, as Garrett said. And at the other end of the tunnel is a barricade with what appears to be some military people. There's a sniper with a scope and a man with a binoculars, and they see the silhouette of Soon Yin and, and the pregnant wife coming down. And like Garrett said, she's kind of limping a little bit, walking a little too pregnant for our uh, soldiers here. And they're like, uh, they radio into the base and they're like, hey, someone's coming down the tunnel. And they're like, look for signs of infection. And it's too dark in the tunnel. He's like, ah, I can't make visual contact. What should we do? And the guy on the radio is like, kill him. And he's like, oh, shit, is this really how the movie's going to wrap up? No survivors? And for you know what we've seen so far... I wouldn't put in a past the movie. I was like, they're going to do it. Me too. They're going to shoot a pregnant woman and they're going to shoot a kid. And that's how this is going to wrap up. And this is why everybody's been talking this movie up like, <laughs> holy shit, you got to see baby murderer training Busan movie. It's crazy. <laughs> well, they do a They do a POV shot of the sniper scope, like lining up on the mom's head. And I was like, if they blow this chick's brains out, this fucking kid is never going to be okay. Well, she's not going to be okay to begin with, but you're right. This is just to add to her months of therapy to come. So as they're walking down the tunnel, the, the soldiers hear Soon Yin singing the song that she learned to sing at the recital at school that she couldn't complete. And I thought it was a very touching moment that she does actually complete the song. And I was kind of singing as like, this is her singing it for her father after his passing is in, in memorial or in memoriam or whatever the correct term is for the dad and his passing. And it stops the soldiers are like, well, zombies wouldn't be singing. And it ultimately saves them both. And that's where the movie wraps. Yeah, well, they, they like the survivors. And then, yeah, they fade to black. Bang on. Grade A movie. This 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 was really well done. Yeah, I gotta gotta say I, I can't recommend it enough. I think we are all gonna put this on a list of like must watches. And I think this is even a good movie outside of people who don't like horror movies. My wife sat and watched it with me the whole time. She's like, "Wow, that was a pretty outstanding zombie movie." You know, she doesn't watch a lot of this stuff with me, but she was able to follow along. And and yeah, it's just a really well written, directed, and executed film all around. Yeah, not too much gore either. If you're if you're squeamish of gore, there's not a whole lot of it. There's a few moments that are kind of like whoa. Yeah, it's mostly implied gore. I used to dance under that name as a stripper. <laughs> and up to the stage, implied gore. Well, that's three recommendations for us. Uh, John, you think the prequel animated one is worth a watch? Yeah, it's not nearly as good, um, but it is uh, enjoyable. It's on Shudder, so you know if you have Shudder, it's free. Um, and it's it's it just follows a different group of people. Like essentially, I think the night before, I think the only crossover character is the homeless guy but and only like in passing he's not like he plays a major role or anything that sucks that seems like a, a great little like segue into like putting him into the main movie of like oh this guy saw it all go down 
uh, oh, sorry to disappoint, but uh, it was uh, it was it was it was an enjoyable watch, I would say. And I don't think anybody's watched the sequel, uh, Train of Busan Peninsula, I believe it's called. I haven't heard good things. In fact, listener Chris uh, messaged me and was like, this movie is bullshit. Don't watch it. And I was like, oh, no, that sucks. I don't know how you follow this one up. Like, it's such a good movie. It's going to be hard to capture this again. Uh, and that's kind of why I'm like, mm, U.S. remake, what are you going to do, really? It's going to do anything better than this one. So I did catch like a 10 to 15 minute chunk. It was airing on Shutter. You know, when you go to Shutter and they're just running something like like it's the channel Shutter. They were showing Train of Busan 2. And the only scene I got was they captured this man, took his shirt off and spray painted a number on his chest and back and forced him to go into an arena with 40 other people and they were fighting zombies and they were going to see who could survive for 120 seconds. And they were placing placing bets on it. And that's the only scene I saw. So I think we're going to get something along the lines of, let's see how far society falls in the wake of the apocalypse kind of shit. And I don't know if I like that all that much, but I may sit down and watch it anyway, just to get a grasp on it for myself. Are you not detained? <laughs> oh my God. I would love if it was Sun Yu and it was a whole gladiator thing. It's like, I am Sun Yu daughter of a murdered father <laughs> you know oh man all right well any other final thoughts on train to busan i just think it's great that we're we're still getting good zombie movies i know that some people have like just written that genre off but i i still think there's stuff there and even i haven't seen army of the dead yet i will probably watch it I'm not a massive Zack snyder fan but he does an okay film every now and then I just I like fresh takes on it, so I'm interested to see what they do with like an Ocean Eleven style zombie movie. But um, it doesn't sound like it has the the mark recommendation. But I'm just glad that they're still making zombie films. Yeah, let me know what you think. It was a movie that it was I I didn't turn it off, but it is also two and a half hours long, Garrett. So prepare yourself. Unless you have hobbits, it should not be two and a half hours. <laughs> Jesus. Yep, that should be a shirt. So listeners, if you have any other movie recommendations or any cold open ideas, let us know. We've got a Twitter, a Facebook, and an Instagram. You can find everything we're up to at thegravetalk.com, and we'll be back next time. See you then.